This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please join me in our call to worship. I waited patiently upon you, O Lord. You stooped to me and heard my cry. You lifted me out of the mire and clay. You set my feet upon a high cliff and made my footing sure. You put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many shall see and stand in awe and put their trust in the Lord. In the name of the one who creates, redeems, and sustains us, let us worship God. famous quotes. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Those are good words to keep in mind always, of course, particularly in how we treat one another. But they are also helpful words to keep in mind as we enter into this time of confession. Because whatever darkness is in us, whatever hate is in us, whatever fear or failure is within us, whatever it is that we need to give over to God, God takes what is wrong and makes it right. God takes what is hateful and infuses it with love. God takes what is fearful and overcomes it with hope. 
God takes any moment of failure and offers us a lifetime of grace. That is why we can confess with honesty, because we are leaning on the sturdy mercy of God. Let us pray together. Gracious God, hear our prayer. For the right roads we have avoided traveling, and the kindly words we have refused to share. For the false gods who have received our worship, and the true selves we have starved of love. God, by your grace, forgive us. For the hidden hurts we have held too tightly, and the promises which we never kept. For the careless use of our time and money, and the pitiful excuses we should never have made. God, by your grace, forgive us. For all we should be and all we can amend, God, by your grace, renew us. For all you have in store for us and all you may demand of us, God, by your grace, prepare us. For the life of the world and the love of its people, God, by your grace, commit us. that are trustworthy and true. Whatever you have done, whatever you have failed to do, whoever you are, whoever you may one day still become, you are welcome, you are accepted, you are forgiven, you are loved forever by the very creator of the world. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can ever change that. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Friends, the peace and the joy and the acceptance that comes to us from Christ, it is too good to keep it to ourselves, so let us share it with one another now. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Share some sign of Christ's peace with one another. Welcome to worship on this Lord's Day. We are delighted that you are here with us today. Whether you are a longtime member or a first-time visitor, your presence here today makes us better. We are grateful anytime we can come together in worship of God. If you have not done so already, but you are seated near the ends of the pews and have access to those maroon pew pads, if you would sign your name and pass them down and back again. As they make their way across, feel free to look inside and see the names of anyone that you may not know who is worshiping near you, and feel free, in fact, we encourage you to change that before you leave today so that everyone might have some connection and feel at home here at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We do have a number of announcements related to our particular life together, but I do want to let you all know that tomorrow, in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the Presbytery of New York City will worship together in the annual Rosa Parks Martin Luther King Jr. service that will be at Broadway Presbyterian Church at 7 o'clock in the evening, and all are welcome and encouraged to attend. Because of this holiday weekend, the church office will be closed tomorrow. Just keep that in mind if you have any church business you are planning to attend to. Looking at the rest of the week, a reminder that our joint Session and trustees meeting is Tuesday evening. Uh, Fridays for children and Friday night fireside jazz are both coming up. There's plenty of time to sign up. We would love to have you all there. 
And if you would like to know more about this congregation or are thinking about joining, we have a new members class. We call it Tell Me More about MAPC. That's coming up this Saturday at 930 um, I will be there. I would love to have as many of you there as would like to know more. Um, also looking forward, keep in mind that the annual meeting of the congregation will take place after this 1115 worship service on February 2nd. We'll meet in the parish hall with a light lunch provided. Um, the purpose of this meeting, we do it once a year. It is to elect officers, present the year's budget, approve pastoral terms of call, and look ahead to 2020 together. Childcare will continue throughout that time, and we'll have pizza and activities for children and youth who may find that a little bit more engaging than a meeting. But it is important, and we would uh, hope to have all of you there. With all of the details, it can be easy to make this feel like we're at a business meeting right now, but we are not, and so we turn our attention and especially our hearts to the Word of God now. Let us pray. Loving God, you are the source of all light. May your light shine into our hearts as we hear your word. May they turn us to do your work. In your name we pray. Amen. Our first reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, starting with verse 1. Listen to the word of God. Listen to me, O coastlands, pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born, while I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, in his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said... I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord, and my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, Who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him? For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up, Princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
may be seated, and I'd like to invite all of our young people forward at this time. Good morning. Is there anyone else? Okay. So, what does it mean to pay attention? Right, to listen to people that's talking to you. Thank you, Brian. Come sit down. Um, to focus, to listen, right? And where do you have to pay attention? That's right, at school, at home, maybe to your parents. A piano lesson, yes, it's a good place to pay attention, right? Have you ever paid attention to God? Always? Wow, you're doing better than I am. Sometimes I struggle with that. I'll be honest with all of you. But in our New Testament lesson today, John the Baptist yelled out to the people who were around him when Jesus passed by him. He yelled out, look, here is the land of Lamb of God. Now, have you ever been on the subway and someone has just yelled out on the subway? Did they catch your attention? They catch my attention, right? This is kind of what John was doing, just yelling out, look, here is the Lamb of God. And then in our Old Testament lesson, if you heard me read, Isaiah, a messenger of God, said, Pay attention, you people, the Lord called me before I was born. So what are we supposed to pay attention to? What do you think these passages are telling us? Yeah. Right, pay attention to God, God's actions, God's loves, God's work, God's presence in the world. God's baptism, that's right. God is always in the world. God never leaves this world, God never leaves our side, but sometimes it's hard for us to remember to pay attention. So it might be that you'll see and feel God in a hug or the eyes of a friend. You might hear it through the words of your parents or a song. If you pay attention, you will see, hear, and feel God. And if you're not paying attention, this is the good news. God is still there. God never leaves our side. So can you pray with me? And I'll invite the congregation to pray as well. God, who's always present, help us listen for you. Help us see you. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you'd like to go uh, to children's worship with Pat and with Barbara, you can now. Thank you. The Gospel lesson is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. Listen for the word of God. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, 
But the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If one pays any attention at all to the news and the events of our day, it can be a challenge to hold on to hope, to see a way forward that leads in a positive direction, to discern where God is at work, to find evidence that love is indeed stronger than death or fear, truth more powerful than lies, and compassion stronger than apathy or hate. We are on the verge of an impeachment trial that, among other things, continues to reveal how deeply divided we are. Our government is in such disarray that I find myself amazed that things keep running at all. The fires in Australia are so massive that scientists say their smoke has traveled all the way around the world and back to where it started. Anti-Semitism, racism, Xenophobia and nationalism are all on the rise, not just in this country, but in many countries. More troops have been deployed to the Middle East. And closer to home, there are more homeless people in the city than ever before. As I go on my nightly walks with the dog around the neighborhood, I am saddened and alarmed by just how many people are asleep on the sidewalk and how many shop entrances on Madison Avenue are converted into cardboard bedrooms at night. As super-tall buildings rise across Midtown, the city's lack of affordable housing grows along with them. Friends struggle to find adequate employment in spite of the official job numbers. Some of us have family members facing recent cancer diagnoses. Many are wrestling with how to care for and support aging and increasingly dependent loved ones in a society that values youth and puts too few resources into caring for those who have grown old. 
Psychologists tell us that the numbers of people coming to see them who are struggling with anxiety and stress have spiked dramatically. I feel sure that all of us are touched in some way by anxiety, fear, and grief. The Psalms of Lament, where God's people cry out, How long, O Lord? Why have you forgotten us? are songs that many of us can appreciate and make our own. And though it is not easy to dwell on our anxieties and fears, though you may be wondering why in the world I am starting this sermon in such a depressing way, there is a place for lament. In fact, the biblical scholar, professor, and writer Walter Brueggemann says in his classic book, The Prophetic Imagination, that grieving is the first critical step towards hope. Unless you break through the numbness of simply accepting things as they are and see that things are indeed not okay, you can't begin to imagine an alternative. In order to envision a hopeful, life-giving path, you first have to see, express, and grieve all that is not right everything that is working against life. On this weekend, when we celebrate and remember the life and prophetic ministry of Martin Luther King, Jr., one of the ways in which we can honor his work is to recognize that it is not over. We haven't yet achieved the world he dreamed of, where all people are treated equally and places of injustice have been transformed into his envisioned oases of freedom and justice. As he wrote in his letter from Birmingham jail, which we discussed in the adult education class this morning, human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and persistent work of those willing to be co-workers with God. Sometimes we are lulled into thinking that progress does indeed roll in inevitably, and recognizing that it doesn't, that it hasn't, that there is still a long way to go, is a critical step. We have to have our eyes opened to all that is not right before we have any hope of living into a different world. So yes, I have begun this sermon by reminding us that there is much over which to lament. There are many ways in which we are living in a wilderness time. But it is in wilderness times that we can hear God speak more clearly, that we can envision something new, that the prophets of hope can break through to us. Isaiah, Psalm 40, which we sang, and even today's gospel passage all point to hope and restoration, to a new thing that God is bringing about in the midst of what feels hopeless. The psalmist says, The Lord heard my cry and drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Whatever wilderness the psalmist has been through, God heard them and restored them. 
In the Gospel lesson, John the Baptist quotes Isaiah, saying he is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. God's people of John's day were in the wilderness of the Roman occupation, living under an oppressive system. And John points them to Jesus, saying, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John testifies and directs them to the one who brings salvation, new life, and a different way of living in the world. Today's passage from Isaiah comes from the portion of the book known as Second Isaiah, which begins with chapter 40. This is a completely different prophet from Isaiah, son of Amos, of the first part of Isaiah. A century or two has passed since Isaiah, son of Amos, prophesied. This prophet of second Isaiah, of whom we have no personal information, not even a name, is with the people of Jerusalem that were taken into Babylon. He is the prophet of hope in the wilderness of exile. Jerusalem had been overthrown, the temple destroyed, and the people felt completely cut off. Psalm 137 speaks of the despair of this time. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps. For there our captors asked us for a song, and our tormentors asked for mirth saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The people are in such depths of despair that they cannot even sing. Brueggemann says, Second Isaiah makes it possible to sing. And when a people can boldly sing, even in the worst of situations, there is hope. Think of the rich tradition of African-American spirituals. In the midst of the cruelty and oppression of slavery, the people developed a rich treasury of song. They had the ability to imagine, to hope and trust that slavery would not always be their reality. The civil rights leader and theologian Ruby Sales, in her interview with Krista Tippett from On Being, that I listened to this morning, spoke of her experience growing up in black folk religion, saying, by the time I was seven, I could sing 50 songs without missing a line. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches sang, the power of his language was the power of poetry and song that inspired people to believe in and work for a new reality. The prophet of Second Isaiah offers people a new song, and that new song inaugurates a new reality, as Brueggemann writes. He says Second Isaiah gives his people a remarkable gift. He gives them back their faith by means of re-articulating the old story. He gives them the capacity to confront despair rather than be surrounded by it. It is a new song that reminds them of their ancient history, that they are a covenant people. And just as God heard the cries of ancient Israel in Egypt and overcame Pharaoh and brought them out of slavery, 
So God hears their cries now and will create a new thing and bring them home through the wilderness. In our passage today, Second Isaiah speaks not just to the nation of Israel in exile, but to the coastlands, the peoples from far away. He is audacious enough to proclaim that this new song is not just for Israel, but for all nations. We learn a lot about what it means to be a prophet and a prophetic people from this passage. Isaiah says that he was called by God from before he was born. God made his mouth like a sharp sword, made him like a polished arrow, and told him he was the Lord's servant in whom God would be glorified. The second Isaiah is a prophet of hope. When you are proclaiming hope to people who are oppressed, who have been captured and taken into exile, the flip side of that is a message of challenge and change to those who are in power. Isaiah's words are a sharp sword and a polished arrow, hope for those who despair, but judgment for those who are the source of that despair. And then in verse 4, we see that this prophet is human, just like everyone else, wondering if all his work means anything. The prophet laments, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with my God. The prophet doesn't see immediate results and momentarily gives in to despair. But as quickly as he sank into despair, he rises out of it, remembering that he is doing God's work. Even if he doesn't see it come to fruition, his cause is with God and his reward is with God. This is such an important message for us. As Christ's body on earth, the church too has a prophetic ministry. It's part of who we are. Just as Isaiah was born to be a prophet, it was his identity, the church is also called to be prophetic. It is part of our identity. We may never see the fulfillment of God's reign on earth in our lifetime. I don't imagine we will see the end of racism, injustice, poverty, discrimination, and oppression. But we are still called to be true to God's righteousness, to Jesus' call to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to be his agents of healing and reconciliation. Remember the prescient ending of what would be Martin Luther King Jr.'s last speech, the day before he was assassinated. Well, I don't know what will happen now, but it doesn't matter, because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight.
I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. King knew his life was at risk, and he seemed to know that he didn't have long. He knew he wouldn't see the day his dream would be realized, but he knew that it was ultimately God's dream, and one day it would be reality. Isaiah did not see the fulfillment of God's promises. Martin Luther King didn't, and we are unlikely to either, at least in this lifetime. But we are still called to trust in those promises, to proclaim them and live into them. We are called to a prophetic ministry simply because we are the church. We are called to proclaim God's vision for this world and to live as members of God's kingdom. Are we being true to that ministry? At times, it means speaking words that are like a sharp sword or a polished arrow. It means examining our own lives and lifestyles and the ways they may contribute to keeping others from living a full, free life. Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham jail was written to the white church, to white church leaders who questioned the nonviolent direct action of the civil rights movement. In this letter, he expresses his disappointment with the white church and its leadership. When the movement first started, he thought the white religious leaders of the South would be strong allies. But for the most part, that was not the case. He writes, in the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard so many ministers say those are social issues which the gospel has nothing to do with, and have watched so many churches commit themselves to a completely otherworldly religion, which made a strange distinction between bodies and souls, the sacred and the secular. He goes on, the contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. I hope the church as a whole will meet the challenge of this decisive hour. If you have not read it or have not read it recently, I encourage you to mark Martin Luther King Jr. Day by reading this letter. Its message to the church is as timely now as it was nearly 60 years ago. We are called to a prophetic ministry that speaks of hope to those who despair, that sings a new song, that lives into God's vision of a world at peace, a world that chooses to follow the Lamb of God over the worldly ways of wealth and power. As King writes, I hope the Church as a whole will meet the challenge of this decisive hour. Let us pray. Now to the one who by the power at work within us 
is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To God be glory in the Church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. affirm our faith. And so we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us center our hearts in prayer. God, who's always present in the clutter of our world, somehow you clear a space where we can be planted, grounded when chaos reigns. Somehow in the midst of the storms, you help us grow roots to stand firm to face the blows. Somehow in the heat of the flames, you unite a world who cares deeply for your creation. Somehow in the midst of our chaos, you never, ever leave our side. And so even when we can't take the news and crumble, you are there to catch and cradle our hearts. It's your presence that brings comfort, your gentle nudge that catches our attention, your justice that brings hope. And so we look for all these things. We look for you to break up the hard ground of our hearts so that grace may be planted, to clear the stones so that acceptance may be planted, to dig into our souls so that love may be planted. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And with the seed planted, we follow as you lead us to the waters of our baptism, so that we may grow into those vows day by day to live a life of faith. And we hope that with our growth, others will grow too, doing the work Martin Luther King Jr. fought so hard for, equality, equity, and justice. And so we hope our growth will spill into the ears of our leaders for change to occur and into the ears of those marching in Richmond, Virginia tomorrow. tomorrow. Grant them peace. And so with our nurtured hearts, we pray for your world. May all those who live with war find safety and peace. May all those who know what it's like to be blocked by walls find a space of freedom. May all those who are doing good and holy work within this city continue to seek wholeness and care. And may all of those who are lacking food, water, and shelter, especially our partners in Zimbabwe, know your presence, O God. May they know that you have not forgotten them. And may their governments resolve the issues of the nation so that all people have readily available resources for survival. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We turn our nurtured hearts to those we know who are hurting, those we know who are wandering, and those we know who need rest. We especially pray for the families and communities of Barbara Shane and Graham Mall who are engulfed in grief. And all those who are in the hospital, hospice care, recovering from surgery, or in rehab, such as the mother of Megan Ledger, Susan Tonking, Alvin Johnson, Al Johnson, Alvin Ike Ortez, Marjorie Norris, Louis Rodriguez, Robert Morton Heller, Margaret Davies, Beth Connor. Lord, we ask peace in their hearts. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen. In response to all of God's love, let us offer our gifts to the church of the world. I will. 
Blessed are you who hunger for justice, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who thirst for righteousness, for you will drink deeply of the cup of joy. Blessed are you who yearn for reconciliation, for you will find peace. Blessed are we, for Christ calls us to this table, where there is room for everyone and plenty for all. There is indeed room for all at the Lord's table. All are welcome, regardless of age or church affiliation. Whether you have been here your whole life or have just recently walked in the door, come find strength for the journey and balm for your soul. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Gracious God, you made the world and everything in it and called it good. And then you made us and called us very good. That is reason enough to thank and praise you. But throughout generations, you have given us countless reasons more. You led our ancestors through trials and wilderness and brought us out on the other side. You gave wisdom to the judges of ancient times who taught us to do what was right in your eyes. And you instilled fiery conviction in the prophets, who were bold enough to tell us the truth about ourselves and the truth about you. And were that not enough, your grace kept going and your love kept reaching new heights. You gave us your son, Jesus, who taught us what we can do with our lives and who showed us what can be done even in death. And then you gave us resurrection, shouting to the world beyond a shadow of a doubt that love your love can outlast and outmaneuver anything and everything. So how could we do anything other than join our voices to all those who have gone before us, all those who are beside us, and somehow even all those who will come after us, forever singing to the glory of your holy name? understand, and we trust that is the best news we could ever hear. For this means that every situation we find impossible, you can redeem it. And every brokenness we encounter, you can heal it. And every disparity between your people, you can lead us to level ground. We do not always have the answers, but we know the answers lie within you. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. These words are bigger than we could ever imagine, O God, and so is this table. Therefore, it needs a blessing and a presence that only you can provide. Send your spirit upon this table, upon these ordinary elements of bread and juice and wine, and upon we, the ordinary people, who will receive them. For in you, this bread is not just bread, it is life. And in you, these cups are filled not just with juice and wine, they are filled with promise. 
And in you, we are not just anyone. We are your beloved. Eager then for a feast such as this, we pray the way your Son Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night of his arrest, the Lord Jesus took bread. Having given thanks to God, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this as my remembrance. And in the same way, he took the cup, and as he poured it out, he said, This cup, it is the cup of the new covenant. It is sealed in my blood and shed for the forgiveness of sin. And he said, Every time you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul reminds us, Every time we share this bread and this cup, we proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
us pray. Gracious God, you have given us a share in the one bread and the one cup and made us one with Christ. May we who share his body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit sets on fire give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us, so that we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
peace, have courage, hold on to what is good. Return no one evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, serve the poor, honor all of life, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.